Uh, my name is Ashton Peter. I am the communications professional for the children's division. And um, I am joined here today by uh, my lovely co-host, Angie Swearens. She is the deputy director of permanency for the children's division. And uh, we are so honored to welcome our guest, Marcy Bursack, a local author and uh, advocate for foster care adoption here in Missouri. Marcy, could you introduce yourself for us today? Glad to be here with you both. This is so fun. Thank you so much for celebrating National Adoption Month in this way. I'm so excited to be here. I just launched my new book, What to Know When You Adopt Through Foster Care, Real Life Stories and Practical Tips, kicked it out the first day of National Adoption Month. And it's 55 anonymous stories. I noticed there was kind of a gap between the families that I connect that reach out and say, Marcy, you've been through this process, but maybe it's outside my skill set. Maybe it's teenagers or sexual abuse or something in categories maybe I don't have firsthand experience in. So I've been connecting people behind the scenes and now we've scaled that anonymously so that we can help people who might be worried about something or concerned about something go through this process, but thrilled to be here. I'm an adoptive mom by choice. I chose adoption as my plan A and adopted a pair of siblings uh, that were a five hour <laughs> drive from my home in Northwest Missouri and excited to talk more about how that really sparked my passion in this space. Well, we are so happy to have you here, and um, I cannot wait to dig into this com conversation with you. Um, Angie, before we get too far into it, how are you doing today? Are you excited to be a part of this? I am, Ashton. This is so exciting. Um, gosh, Marcy, I, I am just so excited to hear your journey and to also really be able to support um, the situations that you're going to be able to share with us today. We know in Missouri specifically what our population looks like. We know that we have a rural area that can sometimes create some obstacles. And just hearing about your beginning here, um, looking at a placement five hours away, I'm excited to hear how you conquered that. But most importantly, I'm excited to celebrate adoptions. And I think for me, what this really means coming down to is really having a courageous conversation in a safe space. And I know um, everybody kind of knows that different themes have different colors, but it really stands out to me that adoption is around the color of purple. And when I looked at some color meanings um, earlier this week, um, purple stands for the, the um, attribute of courage. And I think about courage, not only on the part of the adoptive families, but really on the part about our kids and what that means to be courageous and to enter into a mutual relationship and a a lifelong connection with people. So when you started out, Marcy, and you shared the age of the kids that you brought into your family, I'm excited to hear from their side, from your side, the supports that you received. And the, I'm also excited to hear about where we as a system can improve. So I just, I'm sitting here waiting to hear the rest of the story. And so, um, you know, I guess we can, you know, not to quote the great Paul Harvey, but uh, Marcy, what is the rest of the story? <laughs> yeah, I think Would we kind like of jump in. <laughs> yeah, I think we blew our licensing worker's mind. We were one of her very first cases, and the backstory just just so listeners are like, oh my goodness. So just so you can understand all this. So my husband and I went after adoption as planning, as I mentioned, and it took us five years to figure out like what that even meant because he was like, they need to be kids in our own backyard because my grandpa was orphaned in the U.S. And that's important to me. And I was like, how do you do that? I don't want a baby. And so we couldn't figure it out. And we're like at a church on um, Orphan Sunday is celebrated among many faith communities in the month of November. We saw this brochure and the rest is kind of history with a few nights of my husband, like, I'm not sure I'm ready for this. And I was like, that's okay. It's a four page document, front and back two pages. We'll just do one a night. It's okay. We'll just talk it out. I wanted a dozen kids. 
he did not. And that was a little heart shattering. Cause I was like, oh, we never have talked about number of kids. So we get licensed, we go through um, the classes um, and we actually, uh, one of my siblings, a friend of hers is a foster mom and she had a sibling pair. So we said kids like 10 or younger was kind of what we were aiming at. And my sister called one day, oh my goodness, Marcy, my friends got these kids. And I think they were like nine and 10. And she was like, I really think you need to apply to adopt them. Um, their backstory is that they're, they were placed for adoption with a family during the six months that Missouri requires you to live together, the adoptive mom got cancer and Missouri said, that's a terminal illness. Let's just send the kids back into the system. So back into the foster mom's home, they went. And so we signed up and I chased the social worker down. We went through advanced training because these kids were a bit older. And I was like, okay, we're just going to like figure this out. We interview, we're one of two families and we get a call that afternoon. My husband and I had taken off work because it's such an emotional thing to go through this whole process. And the call was, hey, you guys weren't picked. And I held back tears. And part of me was like, well, good. I have never, ever met these kids ever. And that felt really heavy. And I thought, but say something nice, Marcy, say something positive. And I told our social worker, I said, you know what? I am so glad that we helped move them forward because now they're going to be with a family. And I think that's awesome. And then I hung up and I'm in a pool of tears. And my husband goes to the grocery store to get us some stress food. I wanted a whole bag of Oreos that I could just eat my night away. And while he's gone, I opened my email and we had filters like, okay, if the kid, you know, maybe pregnancy isn't in our wheelhouse. So we would go through different profiles. We were emailed and we're like, okay, this, this fits. And I got an email about two kids across state. There were no pictures included and I skimmed and none of our red flags were there. And so I was like, huh, this is odd timing. So I messaged my husband while he's at the grocery store. And I said, when you get home, I need you to be ready for anything. He was like, what does that mean? And I was like, you just wait. <laughs> so he gets home and I explain what happened. And he said, did you already send that email? And I was like, no, I drafted it. He said, oh, okay, well, we should sleep on this. And I said, no, we shouldn't because tomorrow's the deadline and the age range is a little bit younger than we anticipated. And our licensing worker is gonna have to jump through hoops for us even to meet the deadline. So we applied and we did not follow any of the uh, typical process because 10 days later, I got a phone call in the afternoon telling us we had been selected. There was no interview, we'd been selected. So we were the pre-adoptive home and the social worker and her supervisor had called to see when we could meet the kids. Why not this weekend? It was Thursday, why not? Uh, so we got up at like 3.30 on a Saturday and drove five hours across state. And that became our kind of rhythm. It was supposed to be four months. It ended up being 18. Um, really beautiful story in that. We had friends in Kansas City. So that was kind of a halfway point. So we didn't have to always make the trip in a day. They would take us in and we would find something in Kansas City to talk to the kids about. That was the thing for the week. We're gonna go to Legoland or something fun that sounded exciting and the family visit would be mentioned at some point on that. So I think our social worker, she was hysterical, like, like in a funny way, like she was like, are you guys really going to do this? Like, this is so crazy. And I'm like, right, this community has one foster family and they're an emergency foster family. It's a couple in their seventies. That's it for this entire community. So it's like these kids have to be adopted by someone else, some other place in the state. So that's kind of what happened with our journey, but in the middle of the nine month mark in there was when I felt a lot of self-pity and I'm like on the floor in my bathroom, my kids are in bed and I'm all like, this process is nauseating. I want out of it, but yet I want to help these kids. And I kind of felt a little tap on my shoulder that was like, this is not about you at all. Um, maybe stop crying. And I was like, oh, you know, okay. And so I went to my husband at that point and was like, okay, if we believe things happen on purpose, 
then this has to be happening on purpose. Perhaps why we have a delay is, can I blog? Can I just write the parenting side of the story? We agreed we would never explain why our kids were in care and we would never bad talk their bio family. It was really just about how do you parent through this? Um, and that's kind of what led me into this space was just me feeling sad for myself on a bathroom floor, realizing, wait a minute, there's there's an ability to encourage other people by going through this tumultuous cycle and system. Wow. So uh, I, I love how, how you took this um, this moment where it could have just been like, oh, man, everything is happening to me. This is so sad for me. And you turned it around and flipped it on its head and said, you know what? I'm not the only person who's ever felt this way. How can I share what I'm going through um, to the benefit of more children um, finding homes and and reassure those families that are going through what, what I'm going through? And so um, at the beginning of the call, you mentioned that you had just released your third book. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that and what led to this, this new, uh, story? Yeah. And really, I think what happened, I don't think I had any sense of like altruism in that moment. This was really a, a self-pity party. Like there really, there was nothing about other people, but I think what I saw a little glimpse of is I thought we don't know anyone else has done this. And maybe we could know people that did do this if we just told them and they would do it too. And over the course of even our 18 month path to adoption, um, I served as the non-social worker on a recruitment committee in the space. And something that has always stuck with me is anecdotally, it was shared that for every one family that adopts through foster care over their lifetime, seven of their friends and family do the same, which to me says at minimum of seven more kids are adopted. And what happened was for me, that kind of like catapulted all of this is we finalized their adoption. I started coaching people. They would you know, Marcy, I'd be reached out to by friends, Marcy, my mom or my neighbor, whoever, they want to learn how to do this. So my kids would go to bed. I'd spend two hours talking to them. My husband would comment. I think we overwhelmed them. And I'm like, I do talk fast. And he's like, yeah. And you told them a lot. And I was like, yeah, but like, it, it's like a wavy, rocky road. Like, I don't know any other way to explain how to do this besides telling you how we did it. And then during the pandemic, I had friends out of state were like, Marcy, can you zoom with my friend up in Michigan? And I'm like, oh, sure. Like, that's super easy. I can, of course, teach more people. And then we got those stimulus payments. And my husband and I were both employed. And we were both like, this doesn't, like, we don't need this money. Um, and so we were trying to figure out, like, how, how can we use it for good? And we saw that there were some news articles about people donating it. And so I went to my husband and I was like, how about we use the money so that I can write down the conversations we've been having with these families and teach our country how to go through this. And I, I recognize there's a whole lot of nuance in this space, but that doesn't matter because it's actually not that different. It's just sometimes the terms are different or it's a different, quite, you know, small step in the process. So that kind of catapulted, I, I think if, if anyone remembers playing the game of life, okay, there's like this thing where you get these little life tiles and there's like cool things like Pulitzer Prize and like all these, like you invented something and there's one and it says you like you published a book. Okay. So in my head, I thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to write this book and I'm going to be done. Like, this is my contribution to society. I have done it. And when that box arrived for my publisher, because you don't, a lot of people don't finish the book they started. So I was like, I started this two years earlier, never finished. This will be great. I finally did it. And it was like I had a blindfold in my eyes that was removed when I got the books from my publisher. And I opened the box and all of a sudden I was like, I just signed up for this. I just signed up because I have books. And the only way to make them effective is to get them to people. 
like, great, it's written down. And all of a sudden I was like, I have a huge responsibility in this space. So I launched a podcast a month later. I had this crazy wild idea. I'd never done it before. I went into pageantry. I represented the state of Ohio because that's where the Dave Thomas Foundation is based. And they've been a partner to my family ever since we asked for workplace benefits for adoption. Um, I came back from that. I placed in the top 16. I was the Mrs. People's Choice Award. And then literally out of my heart, out of my mouth, come the words for children's books that came out last year in May. I launched an app that's free and browser-based. All of this is under the name of the Forgotten Adoption Option last December. And then, the, yeah, the newest book, what happened is last December, my husband and I happened upon an opportunity through Pilot Pen. They have a G2 Overachievers program. And they put a call out for people to nominate. And my husband and I were like, well, this is fascinating. We should like, why not, right? Because you're supposed to have a daytime job and do something to help the community. So this isn't like my full-time job is nonprofit. It's th these are the two sides of my life. And so we gave it a go. He used a blue pilot G2 pen, uh, gel pen. It was 12 pages long. <laughs> we might've waited until the deadline and we might've been two hours late to a holiday gathering for our family. And they were very gracious with us. Cause we we're like, listen, like we feel like this is opportunity. Like we just, you can't ever win if you don't try. So this is all getting to why this third book is written. Uh, I get contacted in March saying I'm a finalist for the grant. I have seven days to create a 10 minute video. And you might be thinking that's like a really fast turnaround. Right. But this is the overachievers award. So like, come on, like you gotta like make it, make it a high level thing. So uh, I turned that video in six days. So one day early and um, part of the compiling of that video, they had a series of questions. And one of the questions was, if you win this grant for a hundred thousand dollars, what would you do with it? And my organization is completely volunteer run. I have a lot of experts. I have software developers. I have people doing a research study. And it's very lean because our hearts are in it. And so I thought, well, this would give like huge opportunity. I should sleep on this because I, I'm not getting paid a salary. This can go directly to the kids. And while I was working through that in the shower and praying through it, what came to mind was what's missing is I've been connecting people behind the scenes that reach out that I coach that say, Marcy, I'm really concerned. I was thinking of adopting a teenager or Marcy. I'm not sure if I can deal with sexual abuse or Marcy. I don't know. I, I've over, you know, infertility is my backstory and I just don't know if I can get my heart there. And so I've been connecting people that I know that have gone through this process with these families that are curious, but maybe doubtful or just have questions. And I thought, what if I could get all of my friends to just write that story down? Like it's an email to you telling you all this stuff. So 55 anonymous stories later, here it is. And it's um, coming out an audiobook on National Adoption Day and the paperbacks. If you just wanna like go on Amazon and look at it, Amazon will ship it early apparently. And so they're gonna ship it early December. But the goal is this is such a private decision. Thinking about adoption is very similar from what I understand that when people are trying to conceive, like you don't tell people you're trying unless like they're your significant other or maybe like your immediate family. You don't go like broadcast in social media and it's so similar in the foster care adoption space that people might be thinking it, but like they don't want to tell anybody and they don't want to post about it. So that's why all of my social accounts are public so that people can just reach me directly and we can just have very candid private conversations and whatever they're afraid of or whatever myth they need dispelled, we can work through that together and give them some tools to continue their journey to how do, how do you follow up the agency that hasn't called you back or what do you do when they've lost your paperwork? We can really work through some of the rocky pieces in this whole process. Wow, that's a lot to unpack, Marcy. But um, so I'm writing down little questions here on, on my um, scratch paper here. But I want I want to ask this question. Foster to adopt is different than private adoptions. 
where do you feel that we could have an opportunity to work with more families around foster to adopt here at home, here in Missouri, versus families that don't know it's there and that naturally will go into the idea of private adoption as adoption, as maybe that's the only type of adoption? Yeah, and there's a big, that's, <laughs> Angie, this is why I'm trying to shine light in this space, because people understand adoption and people understand foster care. What people don't understand is that 30% of the kids in foster care are adoptable. And so they think, and even if you, a lot of agencies across the country, you call up and you say, I want to adopt a waiting child. I've gone on the heart gallery, or I'm aware that they're around. I want to talk to you. And some agencies guide people down. Well, you can foster. It's what we need. And so that that's a challenge when, and so I coach, you need to advocate for yourself. Like if your heart is adoption, don't go play in foster care, like go adopt a waiting child. And so I think at home, one, for better or for worse, as a state, thank you, we have National Adoption Month and we have National Foster Care Month. There's no National Foster Care Adoption Month. It gets really confusing because we put three words together, but there's not clarification from a marketing standpoint on who these kids are. And so people, I'm, I'm guilty of this. I thought children in foster care, cool. They were gonna go be with a family temporarily. I thought that's all you could do, be a foster parent. I didn't realize you could adopt. And so I think one thing we can do better as a state is to clarify language around that. Like there's actually two paths. You can foster, you can adopt. And I know that even some agencies, the foster to adopt piece, like I've been told that if you want to adopt through foster care, don't go foster because you're supposed to be working on unification. So there's, there's, there's some challenges I think with our language. I know that I've worked nationally asking, what are we calling these kids? Like, who are they? Like, I've heard them as waiting children. I've been told you don't call them orphans because they have a bio family and you're not acknowledging them. And I'm like, well, then who are they? Because even as a country, we don't know what to call them. We call them foster children. Well, we also call kids on a path to reunification foster children. So we, we have some work to do in terms of that. And I think further on this topic. So when I launched my children's book last year, it's called Are You a Forever Family? One of the things really on my heart was I saw how my kids during the pandemic had different assignments for school. And my son at the time, I think he was in fifth grade, they could write about anything. And he chose foster care adoption. But when you Google it, all of the language is very adult. Like it's, it's complex. And he starts to write this paper and his teacher's like, oh, sweetie, you should pick a different topic. He was like, no, this is my story. Do you understand that? Like I need to tell my story. So he finished his project. And I saw that going, why don't children know? Like, why, why is it weird? And so I worked with some Girl Scouts earlier this year, and we took the children's book into a classroom lesson. And it talks and celebrates forever families. And I had the pleasure of going, I launched it in St. Charles County and also got used in St. Louis County. My husband teaches in that county. And I got to go to a kindergarten classroom and teach this lesson. And it was the coolest thing to read my book to kindergartners. And in the middle of the lesson, everything's provided. There's FAQs, there's how to introduce it. This little girl shoots her hand up. Teacher, I was adopted. The little boy next to her goes, well, why? He probably just had never, you know, he doesn't have much information. And the teacher swoops in and says, oh, I'm going to get to that. And the little girl shoots her hand back up. Teacher, I'd like to share. Okay. This girl had been in, adopted internationally. And she said, I was in a country where families can only have so many children. And my mom here I'm with her, I have a mom. And in my book, I look at the different demographics. We have the grandma, we have the single parent, we have the same sex couple, we have the heterosexual couple, we have the couple that 
had infertility struggles. And she, as soon as we got to the page where it was the mom with the kids, she said, that's me, that's me. And I think the more we can help everyone, not just the adults, because I know adults can adopt the kids, but can you imagine being a kid in that kindergarten class learning about kids who need to be adopted and to go home and tell your parents, there are all these kids, couldn't I use a brother or a sister? Couldn't we do something to help mom and dad? There's a huge opportunity of, and maybe, who knows, maybe those kids are going to grow up going, man, maybe I'll do that one day. I could help a kid someday. I think Thank that's you, really cool. To, yeah, that's like, that's so cool to think about it um, in that way. And we talk about this on this podcast a lot is that, um, especially when it comes to these children, like they, the, the reason we push reunification in, in the foster care space is because they want to be with people like them and for them that's their family that's the people they know you know and so um i know i think sometimes we talk about like no matter the situation these kids are coming out of a lot of times they still just want to go home you know and so uh, it's i love that that you've you've created this this resource so that that little girl who maybe doesn't know the family that she came from, um, she can still identify with it and say, that's like me. That's, that's like me. And, um, I just think that's really cool. I do too. And Ashton, one other thing that Marcy mentioned that I want to go back on, and this, this really speaks to, um, something that I feel very passionate about. You said that you and your husband had a couple ground rules at the beginning of your journey. Um, one that you would not disclose information about the kids specifically about their situation. But the second one is what I want to ask about. You said that you would um, not bad talk birth families. I want to, I want to know, um, Marcy, um, how did you come to that? How did you come to that? How did you know that that was going to be one of your rules? And two, how have you been able to coach other families to accepting or making that a rule for their journey as well? It's a great question. Uh, so I'm I'm red eyed, soggy nosed, going downstairs. My husband is an artist and has a studio, and I go to him with this grandiose idea. And if I remember the discussion, the point was, well, if you're going to blog, this is going to be permanent information. Anyone, anyone can read this. And out of that was, well, out of the decency of being a human, and if we thought about ourselves as being the bio family. We don't want trash about ourselves up there, regardless if we use names or not. Like you don't, you don't need that. That doesn't even solve the problem, right? And so we were just like, how about we don't talk about them at all? Like they're kind of there. We mentioned like kind of where the steps are, but we don't need to talk about their past. And I think part of that too was for me, I had spent 12 years in social service. I worked for Dress for Success. I worked in organizations where we were helping people become stable, become self-sufficient. And, and, and it's a journey for all of us, right? Like we're, we're all changing all the time. And we're not always proud of our decisions. And so it was like, I don't want to bash their decisions when I'm not perfect either. And so like, I wouldn't want someone doing that for me. So I think some of it was kind of putting myself in their shoes um, and also recognizing that, well, what, what would the point of that be? What, what would that do for anyone? If I say all this negative stuff, that's just kind of honest, but like, is it really necessary? Like, what if I focus on the kids and what if I focus on what we need people to do? So I think that was undergirding it. In terms of teaching other people about it, I don't know that that's been a specific topic. I know what has been a specific topic is I've had a number of families that have had their children so young in the foster care space and then have adopted them that the children don't actually know they're adopted. 
So I've done role play where I, this, I actually have a family coming up in a week that they haven't told the kid yet. And I'm like, okay, hi, identity, really, really, really important. Well, I don't know if I can tell them their story. Well, let's talk about the age appropriate piece of it. Cause my kids and I, we are constantly unpacking and asking questions. And as they're going through puberty, they're getting, you know, they're reading the stuff. Well, mom, whose hands do I have? This finger's longer. And I'm like, I didn't pay attention to that. Sorry. You know, and it, it's just, I think it's a healthy ongoing dialogue, but I think as an adult, it requires a certain amount of maturity in the space, especially when, if your backstory is infertility, right. That you want to, you don't want to ever acknowledge there was ever this other family. And I think that does a disservice to our children. And part of it for me is motivated. I have a sibling who didn't know that she had a different dad than me until high school and it wrecked her. And so for me, I'm like, we don't want to do that to anyone else. Like if, if the truth is the truth, you tell the truth. Right. Um, so I think, you know, it depends on how people are taking that information. I hope that they know those rules that I decided and understand that. I do have some times where I'll go on speaking engagements and people want to know a bit more. Um, and I just remind them that like my kids, when it, when they feel comfortable or they want to share their story, they will, but it is not my story to share. Like I have no part in the story. I'm just simply this outlier who was trying to help. Like I wasn't part of those scenarios. I wasn't there for it. It's, 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 it's kind of gossip in a sense, right? It's like, yes, I'm aware of it. And yes, I'm trying to help support my children through healing from those things, but it's none of my business to air all of that out to the world. You know, Marcy, we talked about like what the need is. You kind of mentioned some of that, you know, what is the need in Missouri? How does our language impact this? As of this morning, um, this November of 2023, we have 12,599 kids in our foster care system. Of those, we have 2,146 with the goal of adoption. Now that doesn't tell me, and that was as of the end of September, that doesn't tell me how many have an identified family or not, but that tells me how many have that goal and, and that that goal hasn't been um, finalized yet or met yet. So when we think about this, and we see a lot of recruitment and campaigns. Um, you mentioned that your um, prime, your first introduction to, to your kids came, you know, with a recruitment type of a email per se. What other um, avenues do you think that people become aware of foster adopt foster to adopt? Yeah, well, I think social media, it's prevalent, right? I mean, I'm, I'm sharing waiting children all the time, but the challenge, I think if you kind of, if I step all the way out of this, I think the challenge is actually, in, in the tech space, I would call this the workflow, or you might call it the customer experience. There's not really a continuum of, oh, I saw instant family. Oh, I saw a kid in the heart gallery. And then, oh, I called the place. And then everything trickles. It's not like Amazon where like you press click and everything falls. There, there's no, like to me, I, I have yet to see a sequential path. Because when I talk to the families I serve and I say, oh, you saw a kid in the heart gallery, what happened? They told me those kids weren't available anymore. Well, what did you do next? Well, that was it. Wait, why didn't they ask you about classes and training? I don't know. And I really wasn't interested in other kids, Marcy. Okay, time out. You need to understand when you go online and look at these kids that like you can't tell yourself you're adopting those kids. Like it, it, they might be somewhere in the process and their profile is still up there, you know? And so I think there's a bit of a disjointed experience for families. Um, and the same thing happens. I mean, I hear other people that are like, oh, I went through the classes. I signed up for this. And, and I know you guys have such a hard job. There's a shortage of you. There's, it, it's hard. And so I coach families to like make copies and back up those copies and make sure you have them. Cause I've had several families that were really far along in the process. And you were asking earlier about like, well, how come people don't know to adopt kids through the foster care system? Well, because there are people that feel like, well, Marcy, if I just pay for it, 
out of my own pocket, it's a, it's a high price tag financially. I can have a way better experience. And I've had, because I'm in the corporate world by day, I've had several families that have come to me and they're like, I want to pull out because if I go pay for it, it can be a straight line. And I have to remind them like, I'm sorry that this has happened to you, but you have to remember who you're doing this for. And while I realize the government also runs the IRS program and our taxes and the stuff that we all hate doing, like the process is the process. And so if we can just acknowledge that this is the stuff we have to have grit in and we have to advocate for ourselves, I think if the kids that are waiting for us, they wouldn't design it this way at all. And they have no voice in designing it for us. And so unfortunately, it, to me, it's like you have to have a lot of mental strength to decide, okay, I had a setback again. And you know what? I'm not going to be mad about it. And I'm not going to drop out of this program. It's going to fuel me going even further and continuing. I mean, I talk the stories in my new book. I have, they lost my paperwork. I have, I didn't finish the classes the first time because sometimes the scheduling piece of it gets really challenging, right? And then I have the different criteria of, of challenges like mental illness and different forms of challenges, medical needs, things like that. And just things people had to go through to be in preparation for that. But then you have this other hurdle, which has nothing to do with the process of licensing at all. You have this hurdle that's called, I'm in a relationship. And I cannot tell you the number of couples I've coached that usually it's the female, if it's a heterosexual relationship, she comes forth to me and says, I'm ready. He doesn't want to do it. And I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's unpack that. And there ends up being, he didn't have a good parenting experience with his father, or he is really afraid of messing it up or he, and there's all sorts of just doubt and fear. And so I walk alongside that. Cause I'm like, I'm married to that guy too. Like, let's talk through that and unpack it. And if that means therapy for you, I'm very open about it. I went through therapy as part of my program because that crazy long application that you have to fill out about like your whole life asked if I had gone through therapy for some of my childhood things. And I was like, no, great. I need to go do that because I'm probably going to get disqualified <laughs> if I don't. And I signed up for therapy and it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. But I kept reminding myself, if I can get through this, then when I have children that need therapy, I can tell them, here's the name of my therapist. This is so healthy. It is okay. And it's come up time and time and time again. And that to me is one of the biggest challenges in this space is you have two people in a relationship and they're not both feeling like right now is the time or that they should ever do it. It's a great idea, but there's so much doubt and fear and like anxiety around, well, what if? Well, and I want to make sure, like to make sure our audience is hearing what you're saying here. So <clears throat> It sounds like foster care adoption maybe isn't for the faint of heart. You know, maybe maybe when you're going into it, you need to be prepared um, for all of all of the battles you might face, the ups and downs, and you know this this period of of waiting that may be longer than what you thought it was going to be. Um, basically, unex expect the unexpected, right? Um, but would you say it was worth it for you? I would absolutely say it was. It, it did it achieve a goal that I had and I got to help kids. Absolutely. But would I say, oh, I'd sign up three other times. I, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's, I just dropped a new podcast episode of my podcast about a family that like, how do you decide when to close your license? And to me, that was one of the hardest decisions because we signed up and wanted to go into this. We wanted one to two kids. We take two together, ages like five to 10. And when we had those kids and then we finalized the adoption, it was asked, well, are you going to renew your license? And we're like, well, what do you mean? Well, you have to pick every year, Marcy. Well, I don't know. Like, are we taking more kids? Like, I don't. And, and it was like, 
this is, this is hard because you feel like you're saying no to a child. And I think that's where my husband's wisdom weighs in where he's like, you have to understand Marcy that like, we need to, as a family bond and heal and grow and like raise our kids. And it's okay that we've done our part, but it's hard. Like it's really, 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 really hard to get into this and then say, no, I mean, I can tell you the very, like we had just gotten finished all of our classes and the time Missouri had a different program. So we were only licensed to adopt. So we didn't even have like a foster. Like we went to the classes, but never signed papers. And we got a call the very day we finished our classes. Marcy, there's a four and a 14 year old. Here's the backstory. It's really important. They have a place tonight. And I was like, oh my goodness. So I call my husband, who's a teacher. So I get him at the end of the workday. And I was like, oh, there's this situation. And he paused and he goes, do you remember what we're trying to do? And I was like, what? And he goes, we're trying to adopt. And I was like, I know, but these girls, and he was like, and if they move in with us, what's going to happen, Marcy? And I said, what do you mean? He said, how are we going to have kids that need us permanently if we're saying yes to that? And I'm like, oh, this is so rough. But the, on the counter of that is why did I get that phone call? If my intention was to adopt, I get that we have need, but that was, I almost felt like I had to say yes because we were licensed, right? But my husband stuck his foot down. He was like, remember what we're trying to do. We have to wait out for the kids that need us forever. I think that's a really interesting um, point because uh, some of the foster parents we've talked to on the call to foster, they talk about how when they started, their intention was adoption. Um, and then they kind of fell in love with fostering in, in the process, you know? So um, I think it's definitely something that for those listening, it's a case by case basis, you know? maybe maybe you're open to trying it once and then you decide that you really just want to adopt um but what uh i just wanted to call that out there is that just that that it can it can look different for every family but if your if your goal is adoption um marcy's definitely got some good advice for you there yes ashton i really agree with that I think that Marcy has really outlined how important it is to have really strong communication, um, whether you're a, you're a single adoptive parent or you're part of a couple as an adoptive parents. Uh, I think it's so important that you know what your own boundaries are. And Marcy, you referenced um, kind of a red flag checklist earlier. You know, when we work with our pre-adoptive families and we go through the home study process and the training, we are really encouraging our families to identify for themselves what you know am i looking for sibling groups what type of age range am i looking for are there medical conditions i'm open to are there medical conditions i'm not open to there's a whole list of qualifiers that we really want the families to be able to know for themselves and not for our staff to talk you into because our staff know like i said that we have 12,599 kids in foster care and we need really good, strong families. So sometimes we might wanna be a little persuasive when we're licensing and recruiting families, but it's important for families to go into this knowing their own limitations, knowing what fits with their families, because we want adoptions and permanent connections to be permanent. We want them to be the best for both sides, for our families, the parents going into this, and for our children. We want to make matches that are meaningful and that there's a connection there based on a true connection, not on what somebody thinks might work. Um, and so I really appreciate those boundaries and those conversations that you're having in your coaching work as well, Marcy, with other families. I think it's so healthy to be able to talk about those things, um, to be able to really explore 
um, just being able to share, you know, we've had to have difficult conversations on this side of it outside of like this assessment person or our staff really working through things. So I appreciate your vulnerability there and sharing those experiences. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, what I'll tell you too, it's tricky even, and I don't know what's currently in circulation. I've seen there's a different form than what I saw. I had like a four pager with like willing to discuss, it was different characteristics and it was like not willing to discuss, willing to discuss and like definitely willing to discuss. And there'd be things like, what if the child is blind? What if the kid has this medical thing? What if this? And we had never ever as a family discussed that because I was like, I feel like a really bad human right now. Like I feel really bad. And my husband was like, well, we can't do blind. And I was like, why? And he was like, cause our home. And I'm like, but that feels like a mean thing. Like I feel mean. And, and I think that's one of the hardest spots in this whole space is one, you might say no when you get a call and two, you have to kind of identify these qualities when, if you were having a biological child, you don't actually get to decide those things. So there's a lot of like moral and heart taffiness, if you will, that goes on on the other side. It is weird when you think about that, you know, a child, a natural child through birth, it is different. It's a different process. This is a really different process. Comes with different challenges. Also comes with different blessings. Absolutely. So Marcy, we've gotten to hear a lot about your story and um, kind of your start. And, um, you know, I had a couple questions just before we wrap up here today. Uh, number one, why did you choose uh, adoption as your plan A? Yeah, I chose adoption as my plan A because when I was in my early 20s, my church went on a mission trip to orphanages in Eastern Europe. It was the country of Moldova. And I found myself gravitating towards the older girls. I did a lot of nannying. Like I just, I hung out with the older girls all week. And I learned uh, my church had started building like a transitional living home because often girls go into prostitution after the orphanage experience and boys go into criminal activity. So their solution was we build a transitional home. We can teach them life skills. And in my early 20s, I remember coming back to the States going, OK, it's kind of difficult for me in my early 20s to like adopt a teenager. There's not quite an age gap there. But man, I hate this reality. I hate it. Like I hate that like if I was them and I was in this orphanage, that I'd have a stronger chance of going down this path that nobody wants to go down. And I just, my heart, I was like, this is so wrong. Like I need, like, I have to do something. Like I saw something terrible. And I kind of declared in that moment, like, I know what to do. I will adopt. That's what I'll do. And so when my husband and I started dating years later, relationship gets serious pretty fast. And I was like, Hey, I just got to make you aware. Like, I don't want biological children. I don't know if my body works that way. I just don't, I, I don't ever want to try. And I thought, cool, we'll just break up. It'll be great. Like, awesome. And he said, well, me too. I was like, what? He was like, yeah, my grandpa Sam was seven when he was orphaned in the States. He was a first generation Serbian and didn't have a mom or dad alive. They both died of pneumonia. And the story is really sad. Sam had an older brother and sister and the older brother and sister got adopted because they could basically be indentured servants for a family that had a farm. And Sam grew up on the streets in St. Louis. He begged for food. I mean, he has a pretty crazy story. And there's a really cool, amazing American dream turnaround for Sam as he gets older. But my husband said, I always wondered, like, what would have happened to Sam if he would have had a family? Like, what would have happened if somebody would have seen him, this little seven-year-old boy with a lot of grief, with a lot of trauma, if they would have intervened for him? And so that's really what guided us, one, to adopt, two, to have them be domestic, and three, they needed to be older because Sam was older. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's just such a powerful part of your story is that, you know, um, 
you didn't stop at my my plan A is adoption. You took it one step further and said, um, you know, I'm mad about this for for our, our country, for for these kids. How can you know it it, it evolved into this um, thing that you're doing, like all of these books that you've written and and um, the advocating that you're doing and all these families that you've helped. Um, how many families have you helped so far in this okay. journey? So Ashton, and thank you. In this space, so I, I use my lunch hour and the time my kids go to martial arts every week to like give my time. And I coach families and I create content. So there are times where I'm like, I probably should do a head count. Like, I don't know. And as part of the pilot Pen G2 Overachievers grant, they asked for that. And I was like, oh yeah, I probably should like do that. I've been doing this for like, it, at this point, it's this three year anniversary right now, this month. And I looked it up and I was floored because about a month in, I was helping about a thousand people. And then about a year in, it was a 4,000. And I thought that's so much more than I could ever have in my living room. When I pulled the numbers earlier this year, it was 11,555 families that I have been able to touch and equip with being able to adopt through foster care across the nation. And my daughter likes to say, and if every one of those families adopted siblings like my parents, we would sure help a lot of kids. You certainly would. Um, so nearly 12,000 like families. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's pretty incredible. Um, so I, I guess my follow up then is where are you and your family now? What's been going on? Uh, kind of, can you fill us in? How's things going on this side of the story? Yeah. Where are we now? We don't celebrate our adoption day because we're like in the foster care space, like we moved in together really fast and then we didn't adopt. So it's just like, we know we're a family. It's really great. So I've got two middle schoolers that are in martial arts. My husband is two. Uh, we enjoy kayaking together, bike riding together. We look really similar. So we're in the season where like my kids haven't, I mean, they, they were adopted as they started school. And so they tell people when they want to. My son, when I wrote my first book, I said, I really want to feel my photo in the back really want that to be there. Do you mind if I use your face? And he was like, well, mom, do you think another kid would get adopted if I did? And I was like, yeah, because people can just see like we're normal people. They'll, they'll think about it. So that's been an interesting unpacking because they're using their voice if and when they want to. And they're really proud of being adopted. They're really proud of being able to talk to other people. But they also, my kids are Hispanic. So they get a little bit darker than I do in the summer. I'm very white because you, your listeners cannot see that I'm Caucasian. But what's interesting is when they're at school and my husband teaches in this district, they'll tell people, you know, it comes up a conversation while well, I'm adopted. And they'll say, no, you're not, don't, don't do that. And I think that's where we have some work to do as a nation where it's like, it, it's not funny anymore. And it has never been funny to make fun of our sibling and say, oh, you're adopted. Like it's never been funny, right? And when a child wants to tell you that special part of them, to me, I think in the like diversity, equity, inclusion space, we have a lot of opportunity right now because we're talking about all sorts of other pieces that make us unique and different. And are we putting adoption at the table? Because that's such a special part of us. The data shows that one in 25 families that have children have adopted a child. So when I went to that kindergarten classroom, there was probably one plus child that was adopted, which is why you had the little girl that identified as it, because it's common. We just don't have a space to talk about it. So I think as a family, that's kind of, we see this as a ministry for our family. We see this as, you know, I would love to adopt thousands of children. I don't think it's quite feasible, but man, I can sure teach thousands of other families how to do it too. And then if we all do something, we can help all the kids. Um, Marcy, you mentioned the um, work that's done at your local church. You talked about um, Orphan Sunday. How does Orphan Sunday partner with the work that we do 
at Children's Division around finding permanent adoptive families for our children with the goal of adoption? It's a great question. So I don't actually go to that particular church anymore. They did a, it was a large church. They had a weekend long expo they called Heart Cry and they had all these agencies and all these tables. It was phenomenal. And I know that in this space, because there are opinions, uh, we now have both Orphan Sunday and Stand Sunday. Um, cause I think the word orphan has mixed, um, digestion. If you are in the U S I don't care. Like the heart behind it is we're trying to help kids. And so I think if listeners are thinking maybe my faith community could do this, or maybe I could do something about this. I think just simply pausing, whether it's a sermon or an announcement or a social media post, anything to help people see in our own backyard what the need is and how we can help. And I know sometimes people say, well, that's kind of overwhelming to think of jumping in. Yeah, it is. Okay, sure. So I started with respite while I was going through my classes. I spent five years thinking about it. That's a pretty typical timeline. But I think even if we can just use our voices to shed a light on the need, most people don't know this. Most people don't know that kids, there are kids in foster care that are adoptable. Most people don't know how you even get started with that. But if you really ask people, they all know someone adopted. And so it's like, okay, okay, if we could just make this, just pause, just pause and tell someone or pause and does it need to be a specific Orphan Sunday event? It could be. I mean, they're very effective, but does it have to be? No, like there's so many other ways to do this. There was one point when we were going through our journey, our social worker said, hey, do you think you could just like invite some friends to like a meeting? And I could just kind of give them kind of what we need. And I was like, actually, I can tell you a number of friends that have told me that this would be of interest to them. So I had like five couples and this is pre-pandemic when we could all actually gather in, in rooms, but we had, it was simple. Like they learned information. And I think when people know, right, when they know what the need is and they see what the different options are, it's easier to say, oh, I could do something. But we're completely unaware. We're just going day to day and we have no idea that our neighbors need us and that these kids that live in our communities need us. We don't even know where they are. I think that captures it for me, Ashton, um, Marcy's comment on how can we help in our backyard? That to me really brings the message about what we can do in Missouri for the kids in Missouri. And I really appreciate this time, Marcy. I am so excited to look at your book. I'm excited to see where all of your connections can lead us in our future work. And I just, I'm so thankful for what you've given to this system and this work. And I'm so excited to see where your family goes from here. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. I feel like I was very honest. So thank you for letting me be honest and, and tell you some of the realities that exist around this space. Absolutely. So uh, as we close, I just, I want to thank you so much for taking your time um, out of your day to talk to us. Um, Happy to. And just really share uh, your heart with us. And in that, um, you know, we ask this question at the end of every call to foster podcast. And so I'm going to ask it to you too. If I were your neighbor, your friend, your cousin, maybe even just somebody who saw your book and said, hmm, she seems to know a little bit about this. And I came to you and I said, look, Marcy, I'm really thinking about this foster care adoption thing, you know, but I'm a little nervous about it. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. What would you say to them? Yeah, I think I would say to them, this has nothing to do with finances and this has nothing to do with 
anything but your heart. And that's usually my very first book, The Forgotten Adoption Option. That's the very first section. It's the heart. It's really you saying like, why am I wanting to do this? And it's like anything else in life. When we define our why, and this is like a broad statement, right? When we define our why, we can achieve our goals because it never matters how we get there. It's that we know where we're going. And it's the same in this space. Like I knew that I wanted to adopt. I didn't know how. And I knew that I wanted to adopt siblings because my husband was like, Max have two kids. And I'm like, I have three sisters. And if somebody would have separated me as a kid, like that would have been awful. And so I think for people, like if you're on the fence and you're just like, oh my goodness. One of the things that I have heard time and time again with my new book that readers have come back and said that they have learned when they're that person, they said, I read, it's like in the first few chapters, that it's, it's never going to be the perfect time and you're never going to feel ready. So if you don't feel ready, you're actually ready because that's how we all feel. You know, I've heard that plenty of times uh, when I was pregnant with my first, uh, first child. So that, I think that's a parenting a rule of thumb for sure, uh, whether you're going into adoption or foster care, but that's excellent advice. So I just, uh, again, I just want to thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Angie, any last thoughts? I just, I just can't say enough about the excitement and the purpose behind all of this work. I, it's just very, it's a really exciting opportunity. Thank you so much for sharing. Honored to be here. I am so grateful for your listeners taking time to listen and to be equipped so they can share the information too. Well, uh, I guess that's this episode of the Call to Foster podcast. If you uh, are interested in fostering or adopting through foster care, um, you can find us on the DSS website at dss.mo.gov backslash CD. Um, you can also find more episodes of this podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or Apple Podcasts, and uh, really whatever podcast platform that you prefer. Uh, thanks again, Marcy, and thank you, Angie, for joining me on this podcast today. Uh, we'll catch you next time. At the Department of Social Services, we are dedicated to inspiring more Missourians to help us provide quality, loving homes to the children in our care. Help us reach our future foster parents by leaving a review, subscribing, and sharing this podcast on your social media platforms. Music